Welcome to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Today we pay tribute to the works of legendary Irish novelist Samuel Beckett through the insight of two great actors, Michael Shannon and Bill Irwin. The two-time Academy Award nominee Michael Shannon is starring in a new production of Beckett's Waiting for Godot at the theater for a new audience in Brooklyn. As much as it has a reputation for being rife with despair and bleakness, is actually very hopeful and, and kind of healing, has a healing property to it, ideally. Master clown and Tony Award winner Bill Irwin performs his one-man show on Beckett at Two River Theater in Red Bank. Well, it's a night-to-night kind of thing. Uh, it's a very personal evening. It's a reflection. I drive stage managers crazy because I got to really pay attention because I don't know where you're going next, Bill. All this coming up today on the WBGO Journal. Joining us on the WBGO Journal is the incredible, multi-talented, award-winning actor and longtime WBGO supporter, Michael Shannon, who was starring in the new production of Samuel Beckett's Waiting for Godot. In the play, it's Waiting for Godot, and it's at the theater for a new audience in Brooklyn. Michael, great to see you as always. Thanks, Tug. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. You played the role of Estragon and Paul Sparks portrays Vladimir in this hilarious yet heartbreaking production directed by Aaron Arbus. This show is filled with quick, witty comic banter. Many people have seen the show, but this is a new production. Some say it reminds them of a Laurel and Hardy skit at times. The character you usually play, very deep, and this is no exception. In this play, Estragon, I have to ask you, where does this comedic skill of yours, where does that come from? Oh, wow. That's an interesting question. I mean, I have to give a lot of credit to the writing. I think the when I just sit and read the play by myself, I'm quite tickled by it, you know? And so I think a lot of that just comes from playfulness, like the desire to be playful, which I think is a lot of what the play is about, is, is trying to find... The, the playfulness and the joy in uh, in the face of, you know, the despair that seems to be a part of life. I feel like that's one of the ways that we get through life is is uh, is by learning to enjoy it and have a sense of humor about it. The two main characters, Estragon and Vladimir, are older men who really depend on each other. You know, they're complementary to each other. And it just so happens that the two actors playing the roles have worked together before at the same theater, the killer back in 2014. Was it easy to get the magic back with Paul Sparks? Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting in the killer. Uh, we, we kind of swap places a little bit. I, I played the character that is more like Vladimir, uh, you know, constantly verbalizing and trying to come up with solutions to problems and, and Paul played uh, Edward, my cousin in The Killer, and Edward was the kind of the pessimist and the, kind of the dead weight, if you will. And so we've switched places in this uh, with Vladimir being more akin to my character, Berenger, that I played in The Killer. And that's been a lot of fun. And I really trust him. You know, when you're out on stage with uh, one other person doing material this complicated and difficult 
you want to be able to look across the stage at the other person and say, this person's got my back and I've got their back. And no matter what happens, we're going to get through it. And uh, I, I feel that way with Paul. It is a really complicated play. You have said that kind of where you're at right now, you are Estragon. You want to explain that? Well, I guess just uh, the last couple of years, uh, I've uh, I've had some trials and tribulations, not anything, in, you know, completely unusual or off the wall or anything but i've i've had some some struggles uh with you know feeling like i don't know a little down in the dumps uh, if you will and so i always say estragon is isn't really so much a person as a state of mind you know that vladimir and estragon are competing states of mind paul and i refer to them as you know tigger and eeyore you know and I've just been having kind of an Eeyore period as of late. So it was kind of a easy for me to slide into it. Yeah. Did that have anything to do with coming out of the pandemic? Oh, certainly. Certainly. Uh, you know, this is a very interesting play to be doing uh, post-pandemic. And, you know, honestly, we were supposed to do the play uh, at the beginning of the pandemic and had to postpone the production uh, for a very long time. And so we feel like that, postponement actually kind of added fuel to the fire if you will you know waiting to do waiting for Goodell yeah I definitely think I, I, I can't imagine anybody who's come through the pandemic without some sort of I mean maybe PTSD is too strong a term but definitely some sort of lingering effects yeah so in this production does it have any special meaning to you that it's in Brooklyn Oh, definitely. You know, I mean, I, I, I love, you know, you're wearing your Frankie and Johnny hat and I, I love doing shows on Broadway and I love going to the big city, but I also love being able to uh, walk to work, you know, and not having to go to Midtown every day. So, uh, and I, I really love this theater, theater for a new audience. Uh, I love the space, uh, the Polanski Shakespeare Center where, where it's located. It's a beautiful, beautiful theater, uh, perfectly designed acoustically. And I really appreciate the man who built it and who runs the theater, Jeffrey Horowitz. You know, he he gave us permission to do this. What do you bring different to this role than than maybe the original production? I've been reading a lot of interviews. Well, you can't actually read interviews with Becca because he wouldn't give them. But there's a, a book a friend of mine gave me called uh, Conversations with, with Beckett, with and about Beckett. And um uh, you know, I guess the original Estragon was uh, Bert Lair, uh, the cowardly uh, lion. And uh, I was reading an interview that he did. And it was very interesting to hear his take on it. You know, he, he thought that Estragon was very concerned with earthly pleasures and delights, you know, uh, food and sex and all these things. And uh, and it's 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 funny because I... I never really was my way into it. Uh, I mean, I do think he's deeply interested in food because I think he's starving. You know, I, I look at Estragon as a man who basically has nothing. He has absolutely nothing. Like uh, a wonderful detail on my costume is that uh, the back pocket of my uh, pants is just hanging out limp, loose with nothing in it, you know, and my friend Vladimir has all this stuff in his pockets, you know, carrots and radishes and turnips and all kinds of trinkets and things. And I, I just have nothing. And uh, I have our wonderful costume designer. Thank for that. Uh, Susan, uh, she did an amazing job, but um, yeah, I just think, 
I, I just think of Estragon as like um, this this hunger in in the face of nothingness. You know, this desire, this hunger to find something uh, to fill the void inside of him. You know, and crossed uh, juxtaposed with a very stringent desire to uh, to just give up. Uh, and that he's constantly kind of vacillating between those two points of, of of view. You know, maybe there's something, there might be something that can get me through the day or there might not, you know, I'm not sure. And he's been having that discussion with himself for a very, very long time. Yeah, but we've, we've tried to, uh, I mean, we have uh, uh, explored uh, a lot of physical uh, comedy. We had uh, Bill Irwin actually come in uh, when he heard about the production, you know, because Bill Irwin's been working on this play since 1983. He's done several productions of it, and he uh, he just wanted to be around and be a resource. He came to some rehearsals, and and we, you know, we we've, we've explored physical comedy and clowning with him. We're not definitely we're not at the level he's at, and w would not be capable of doing what he does, but. Uh, but it's been fun to poke around that a little bit. Do you feel that dementia is a part of this show because they they struggle to recall a number of things? Is that in your mind a part of this? Oh, definitely, definitely. But uh, you know, even even uh, pre dementia, you know, even you know when you quote unquote have your wits about you, you can definitely you know time is such an elastic thing and. And the whole idea of, you know, something that happened yesterday versus something, you know, something could happen to you 10, 20, 30 years ago and it feels like it happened yesterday. And then you could wake up in the morning and not even remember what you did yesterday, you know, and it's uh, it's it, it, there's a lot of discussion about time in the play and, and time is a very has been a very mysterious thing for uh, people in all uh all fields all disciplines whether it's art the arts or sciences or it's just uh, a, a continually uh, elusive uh beast <laughs> if you will you've been in so many great movies and television series uh, the most recent was george and tammy wonderful production as the country star george jones and the very troublesome relationship but yet inspiring and sometimes relationship between George Jones and Tammy Wynette. And that's a Showtime series that you have to watch if you haven't. The last time I saw you, Michael, was Frankie and Johnny. Well, got the hat here in the Claire de Lune. That was back in 2019 with Audra McDonald. And, you know, the, the rapport that you had with her was, was magical as well. But after that, I, we went backstage, Gary Walker and I went back to say hello to you. And, and we talked for a few minutes and Michael Shannon was off to perform. He was off to play. He plays music all the time. It's just one of his things he does so well, sings and plays. What is it about music that has, has really given you another side to this actor that we have enjoyed so much? Wow. Well, I mean, music's uh, my first love. It's what I'm really passionate about. I mean, it was kind of a fork in the road at some point when I was a kid, I, I, I could have perhaps wound up going down the music road instead. Um, but it's, uh, to me, they're, they're interwoven, you know, like when I, I've been 
giving Paul songs to listen to that remind me of the play, particularly jazz. Um, there's a Sonny Rollins album called East Broadway Rundown. And I feel like that that particular track, East Broadway Rundown, is almost like a production of Waiting for Godot in and of itself. And that the the, the two horns uh, are like talking to one another like, like Didi and Gogo do in the play. Yeah, I, 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 I find music uh, to be very inspiring for for what I do as an actor. Uh, and then getting the opportunity to sing, you know, we worked really hard on George and Tammy, honestly. It didn't it didn't just come tripping off the tongue. You know, we, we, we spent a lot of time uh, rehearsing and, uh, with a vocal coach before we even started shooting. So um, it was it was a lot of work but it was very uh, gratifying. And in that instance, um, I felt like it was so important for us to actually sing the songs in the show because I felt like so much of the story between these two people existed in, in the music and existed in the way that they performed with one another. And that they had some, even though they were singing in front of crowds of people, there was some very private, intimate thing that was happening between them when they were singing. And I don't think we could have captured that if we, you know, were lip syncing or even if we had like pre-recorded it. I, re I really wanted to sing it live on set. So that took a phenomenal amount of work to to accomplish that. I feel tears welling up cold and deep inside like my heart sprung a big break. And the stab of loneliness sharp and painful that I may never shake. You might say that I was picking the heart since you broke me off with the call. But don't you Is on and here comes pride up the back stretch. Heartaches going to the inside. My tears are pulling back. The time not to fall. My heart's out of the running. True love is back for another sake. The race is on and it looks like heartaches. And the winner loses all. And you know you've accomplished it when people go, was that really? Michael singing? Was that George Jones? Was it an overdub? If they don't know, you know you've done it really well. And that's that's an indication of that. And and you did it, it you know, playing George Jones, it it was it was amazing. Uh, you know, I know you have a rock band, I know you sing, but when I heard you singing those songs, I I I just couldn't believe it. If you have a some time, you need to watch George and Tammy. So as we wrap up this interview, waiting for Godot. What do you want to tell people why they need to see it now? You know, I think like most, and, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to throw this word around casually, but I, I would maintain that it's a, it's a masterpiece, really, uh, one of the seminal works of uh, drama of the 20th century and uh, perhaps ever. And um, But like with most great works of art, uh, it contains everything, you can find anything in it. Um, I look at it as an opportunity. That's how I uh, 
told the cast one day, I said, this play is an opportunity. It's not like some plays where you're, you're, you're trying to maintain something and make sure that everybody who comes to see it is seeing the same thing. And you're just hitting your marks and saying your lines uh, the right way or whatever. It's really an opportunity to search for something, search for meaning and search for truth. I find it so timely, frankly, uh, which again, I think is a, a is an aspect of, of great works of art is that they always seem like they were written yesterday. And there's so many references to, you know, to mortality and, and violence. And, and I see so much of that in, in the world right now. And there's, there's so much unrest. And I feel like this play as, as much as it has a reputation for being rife with despair and bleakness, is actually very hopeful and, and kind of healing, has a healing property to it, ideally. Um, and in all the reading I've done about Beckett, that, that's one thing that people say time and time and again, is when you meet him and sit down and talk to him, he's actually a very gentle, kind man who seemed very concerned with people and, and, and humanity and, and, and trying to instill some sort of hope in people through acknowledging and recognizing the hardships that we all face inevitably. So, yeah. Plus I think it's a lot of fun personally. You know, I, I, I've seen, I've seen a lot of people have a lot of fun watching it. Just another reason why you want to see Michael Shannon starring in the new production of Samuel Beckett's waiting for Godot extended now. Hey, when you hear it's extended, you know people are digging it, right? It's at the Theater for a New Audience in Brooklyn through December 17th. Now, Michael, always great to talk to you. Continued success and happy holidays. Uh, thank you, Doug. Thanks for so, so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Theater is proud to present Tony Award-winning actor, master clown, and dancer Bill Irwin in his one-man show on Beckett, running December 7th through December 10th on the Joan and Robert M. Rechnick stage there in Two River. That is in Red Bank, New Jersey, of course. Bill Irwin was one of the titans of the stage and continues to be to witness him dance to the beautiful and complex words of the legendary Irish novelist Samuel Beckett is simply something that's magical. Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Now, you have said that the language of Samuel Beckett, you love it and you hate it for different oh. reasons. Explain. Well, maybe a good starting point. Doug is to say, you know, why Samuel Beckett? Why, why should anyone invest an evening uh, or me years of my life in Samuel Beckett's work? And uh, it's a good, fair question. 
One answer is that he won't go away. He will not leave my brain. When I read his writing, I it tends to stay with me. It's easier to memorize than other uh, text I've encountered as an actor. And he's more and more central in our in our culture now. I, I think you may have spoken to some of the uh, gents who are doing the his most famous play in Brooklyn now. I think you may have spoken to Michael Shannon. And of course, his most famous play is hard to talk about because how are you going to pronounce the title character's name? Well, you know, uh, Michael Shannon did mention, he goes, well, we're saying waiting for Godot, but in the actual play itself, they're saying waiting for Godot. Yeah, yeah. And it, you've experienced that because you've been in the play yourself. You played Vladimir. I have. I played Lucky, Vladimir, and I've played Estragon. Uh, the only role I haven't played other than the boy is the role of Pazzo. And I think that's probably on some sort of bucket list imposed upon me from above. When were you first exposed to Samuel Beckett's writing? It's such a good question. I read, first thing I ever read of his is a little play, Act Without Words. And I just happened upon it in an anthology when I was a freshman at UCLA. However, I had just come the previous year, I'd been an exchange student in Northern Ireland. So uh, my Irishness for its better and worseness was much in my psyche as I started my uh, university years. I went to a lot of different uh, colleges and universities. That's the way we did it in the 60s. And uh, I read this little play, Act Without Words, stayed with me, especially his use, the way he used language in in what we would call stage directions now, the way he described what an actor ought to do, because the actor has, in this little short play, there is no dialogue. It stayed with me. It's interesting, Doug, it is not my favorite play now. I don't think it's the, one of the strongest of Mr. Beckett's pieces of writing, but it's the first thing that ever came across my radar, and I have never forgotten it, especially the way he describes movement. Uh, speaking of movement, it's something that you do so eloquently on stage as, as a dancer. And in this, you are taking us to maybe a different inside look at the words and the meanings of Samuel Beckett's uh, plays through dance and through movement. That's a real talent to be able to do that, but it's something that you enjoy. I do enjoy it. I do enjoy it very much. His language haunts me. It won't leave me alone. And I do enjoy it most of the time. You know, one of the questions I pose early in the evening is, is Samuel Beckett's writing natural clown territory? And then I say to the audience, I have my predilections, but together we're going to see what we're going to see here, because that's one of the things I love to explore and, and is different every night is where do these things intersect? This man who's known uh, by many people as sort of an austere user of words uh, and by many other people as, oh, he was a clown uh, uh, devotee. He, he loved baggy pants comedy grew up, the family, the four Becketts went often to the Variety Theater. Uh, and where does the baggy pants tradition, which I have loved from an early age, intersect with Mr. Beckett's use of language, which I came to a little later, but it's all a long time ago. When you get as old as me, Doug, everything is a long time ago. 
And so I, this is a personal evening where I look at this stuff again, anew every night and uh, invite the audience to join me in looking at this language and this playwright and prose writer's use of language. One thing that Michael Shannon told me just yesterday in our interview talking about Samuel Beckett's Waiting for Godot is that in a play like that, a lot of people look at it as maybe a bleak and despair, but he sees hope in that. And he sees, as you see, I know that it's an everlasting type of words that he has, things that are still relevant today. Absolutely. seem Almost seem more relevant now than when the play we're waiting for. Let's look at that play title for a moment, Doug. Americans tend to say waiting for Godot. That's how we know the play. British and Irish people almost always call it waiting for Godot or, you know, Godot. Uh, and it's like driving on the opposite side of the road. We can't explain it to each other necessarily. It just is a difference we have. Now, for reasons that I enjoy laying out to the audience in the course of the On Beckett evening, I've come actually to pronounce it waiting for Godot. Nathan Lane and I decided when we did the play several years ago, you know what? It actually works better if you call him Gatto, uh, for reasons of, that is are fun to look at in the course of the On Beckett evening. But uh, it is a play that, you know, when I was a university student one million years ago, it was an obscure piece of writing. Now it's done all over the country, all over the world. There's always somebody doing that play, and Jonathan Kalb, the the dramaturg at Theater for a New Audience, where they're doing the play right now, said, you know, it's, it's almost like a bit of a chestnut. You can crank it out. People crank it out. Some theater companies crank it out almost like, uh, you know, Christmas Carol. Like, we got to do our, our waiting for it. It is, remains, though, this really mysterious, haunting play. And I'm with Michael Shannon. It feels... Uh, like this author only wants to look at bleakness, but when you get inside that writing, he's actually full of life force. His writing is full of desire. And that's what an actor thrives on, is what what does the character I want, you know, what does the character I'm playing want? Then I, can, then I can show an audience some life. And this writer, man, he's full of life. He's full of what we actors call character energy. On Beck, it is produced by Octopus Theatricals and premiered at the Irish Rep Theater in New York City back on October 3rd of 2018. How has the show changed since then? Well, it's a night-to-night -night kind of thing. Uh, it's a very personal evening. It's a reflection. I drive stage managers crazy. Uh, I mean, it's been very complimentary to hear from us. I love doing this evening because I got to really pay attention because I don't know where you're going next, Bill. Uh, together, the audience, the actor on stage and the stage managers and crew uh, were looking at different pieces of this writer's writing. And man, he was all over the place. Just take punctuation. He never punctuated anything the same. Everything he published was different use of punctuation. It's almost like a... a an explorer as a Noam Chomsky kind of thing. What is language anyway? Why do we sometimes use these little dots and they mean a lot to us? And then the next piece of writing, he just says, I'm not going to use those. There are going to be any periods or commas in, in this piece of writing. And it can drive you crazy. And believe me, it does. I 
as I say in the course of the evening, I sometimes just throw the book across the room and say, I, I got to take a break from this writer. But I always go back to that book because his use of language and his his look at what it is to be alive is, is so electric. And like I say, it'll never leave me alone. I think, okay, I'm done with Beckett for a while. And then I'm up in the middle of the night. My wife says, what are you doing? Well, I'm reading Waiting for Godot again. Most people have one particular part of their artistic life that you know that stands out but to me for you it's it's three right it's yeah. your ability to be this master clown that that so many people have enjoyed but incredible acting in in some of my favorite movies and then being able to dance who's the clown that you most admire buster keaton who was uh, somebody that Samuel Beckett admired and uh, actually did the only piece of film Mr. Beckett ever wrote for. He wrote a script titled Film. That's the Beckett, you know, compression. It's just, I'm going to write a movie and I'm just going to call it Film. And Buster Keaton uh, did the, the role in film. Apparently, Mr. Beckett had a pretty fair regard for uh, comic solos and duos. He was a, he was a, uh, Laurel and Hardy fan, or at least knowledgeable about Laurel and Hardy's work. Buster Keaton is somebody who I think just came at an amazing time in history. He was the best actor, the best director, and the best acrobat in American cinema at the time he was doing his work, and that's a weird combination. You can see my entire interview with Bill Irwin on the WBGO Facebook page. Thanks for listening to the WBGO Journal. Join us next Saturday morning at 5.30 for another edition of the award-winning WBGO Journal. In the meantime, stay tuned to the world's greatest jazz and blues station, WBGO and WBGO.org.